Hey everyone, we're back this week with our new health series called Hormone Happy Hour that I do with Kea Perowit, my dear co-host on the series and co-founder in our business, Bia Wellness. And every Wednesday, Hormone Happy Hour will feature an in-depth interview with a leading women's health expert. Each expert will teach you step-by-step how to eat, think, and move in a way that is designed to help you feel great and create an abundance of energy in your life so you can build your own empire. Empire. Now let's jump into this week's episode. I hope you enjoy it. Yasmin, you recently started doing breath work and you've had a pretty powerful experience that I don't even think I got the full story. So I'd love for you to share here if you're open to it. Oh my gosh. I think I'm still piecing together my experience because it was so profound. And it's funny because I've been doing breath work. I've been doing guided meditations. You know, anytime I feel a feeling of overwhelm or higher anxiety, you know, if I'm in a certain part of my cycle, I'll immediately go to YouTube and just Google like a guided breath work session and a guided meditation. And the other day I was listening to Maria Menunos and Jessica Alba, by the way, amazing episode with them together talking about business, wellness, everything. And they were just talking about how much breath work has impacted that. I'm like, you know what? Let me go and try to book a one-on-one session virtually with someone in breath work. And you guys, I swear, I don't know if it was a function of me actually sitting there and taking it seriously and it being about like a 40-minute session, but it was powerful. I mean, for a few reasons. So one of the reasons is I felt like I was able to kind of manage my nervous system a little bit better and really feel relaxed in a busy day. And I truly, this might sound really nuts, but he was telling me to like move my hands together, put my hand on my chest. And I was feeling the energy all around me and my body was buzzing. And I swear, like after that experience, and I know I talked about briefly in another interview, me going on a retreat in Hawaii and really feeling that experience as well. I'm like sold. And I am telling you, even the day afterwards, I just felt so calm, so collected. And I've never felt that way before. So I'm a firm believer in energy, in breath work. I'm still kind of figuring out my rhythm and I'm trying different things. So I definitely am excited to share more about it. But man, energy is real. I swear by it. But and I know, Kaya, you've always felt this way, but I feel like I'm a recent believer of it. I actually love how much you've gotten into the field of energy and energy medicine, because I fully believe in it. And it can be so powerful. And I also love that you found something that resonates with you because there are so many different ways to go about this. In the episode today, Dr. Cynthia Lee, who we have on, talks about Qigong, which really resonates with her. There's meditation, there's spending time in nature, nature bathing, and there's breath work. So everybody should find that thing that works for them. For me, sometimes sitting down, closing my eyes and trying to meditate is not the thing that's going to work that day, but maybe something more active like breath work could be great. So I love this and I'm really excited to see where breath work takes you next. Yeah. And what you said, which I loved is the active nature of breath work, because I find it really hard to tap into meditation. I've tried. It's not my thing, but I love breath work because you are actively doing something and it kind of shuts off my mind. And what I thought was interesting with this guy that I was working with, 
He was saying to breathe in and out of your mouth because if you breathe from your nose, your mind is still engaged. I've never heard that before, but I really felt like, wow, this was the most present I've been in a breathwork session before. So just sharing that in case it's interesting or helpful to anyone. Wow, that's super interesting. I feel like we'll have to share maybe the information or the video of the person that you worked with. Yes, I'll share it now. Totally. It's actually, he sent me his Spotify, but his name is David Elliott. And literally what we did one-on-one in our session, it's exactly what's in his Spotify. So we can include in the show notes too, because now that's what I'm doing, you know, not even doing it one-on-one with him. I'll listen to his Spotify. So yeah, I would highly, highly recommend it. Oh, I think people are going to love that. Well, we're on this topic today because our guest, Dr. Cynthia Lee, has a really, really incredible story. I was actually introduced to her first through a podcast with Dr. Mark Hyman. She is a traditionally conventionally trained doctor. She was an internist and she started to have really crazy mystery symptoms when she was a young doctor that led her on a 10 year journey of trying to figure out what was going on with her body. And an internist, which she explains is the one who's supposed to be figuring out what's going on with your body if you can't figure it out. So she kind of had to play detective on herself. And this led her down a path of functional medicine, integrative medicine, ancient healing, ancient diets, and energy work. Her name is Dr. Cynthia Lee, and she is an author and a doctor whose personal journey led her through a complex autoimmune condition that took her from public health to integrative medicine and intuitive healing. Cynthia has studied with functional medicine experts, environmental health scientists, alternative healers, and Qigong masters. She has a best-selling memoir called Brave New Medicine, and what's most alive for her right now is coaching groups where she integrates the powerful energy healing modality of Qigong with clinical medicine. I loved this interview because it really goes to show how sometimes doctors need to become the patient and that journey can lead them through some really powerful stuff. And she goes into all of that here. If you're somebody who's ever dealt with mystery symptoms, autoimmune conditions, or anything like that, you're really going to love this interview. So let's get into it. Great. Well, I want to get started talking about your health journey. You have a pretty remarkable story. You were a young doctor. You were kind of maybe, I think, starting out in your career I believe you were working in emergency, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you started to experience a series of symptoms that led you down a healing journey. Can you take us back to that time uh, in your life where you started to feel maybe some physical symptoms that you couldn't pinpoint exactly what was going on and and what was happening at that time? Absolutely. It I was uh, a few years out of my residency training. So I was a young doctor. I was a young mother at the time. Um, and it, I was working in a county hospital serving underserved, uh, patients, particularly in HIV work. I felt like I was really at the top of my, you know, sort of at the top of my game, you know, in terms of, you know, I just completed this really rigorous training. I was feeling really good. I had all the data, you know, the latest data. Um, and, uh, and my husband and I had this, you know, beautiful little girl. So it was right around that time. I was, um, my specialty is internal medicine. And um, so I was a specialist, quote unquote, in chronic diseases. And uh, also internal medicine is the field of, in the, back in the the older days, people used to call us the, the sort of the prime diagnosticians. So we were really trained to, you know, to look at the whole body um in terms of systems and 
and then making a diagnosis. So we were sort of, you know, the, the, the problem solvers, the detectives, which is really what drew me to that particular field. Each field has its own uh, kind of personality. And of course, and I loved working with patients, um, adult patients, you know, with um, living with chronic conditions and how do we make them feel better? Uh, so it was right around that time that I started having a lot of um, symptoms that I didn't really understand, but um, I was also a new mother. So, you know, you go through pregnancy, you go also, I mean, before that, go through residency. And so it was just sort of like, you know, your body is tired. Um, you're having all sorts of symptoms. You're also challenging your body in a way that you've never challenged before. And so... Um, I didn't really, I didn't even know that there was anything wrong. Um, I didn't feel comfortable. I was having a lot of trouble sleeping, um, a lot of, um, a lot of weight loss, actually really rapid weight loss, uh, you know, hair falling out, palpitations, dizziness, fatigue. And so, uh, you know, one of the, the less uh, favorable attributes of my training is that you just kind of learn to, to suppress your symptoms. Um, mind over matter, really uh, just ride through it, power through it, it will uh, improve over time. So I, I actually, I applied all of that to the symptoms I was having. And again, you know, like it's hard to actually know what's normal. And I, what I love about what you guys are doing right now is really engaging, um, you know, uh, an audience that is kind of in this demographic, right? Generally, like kind of young adults beginning sort of this new stage of life. And there's so many unknowns. There's just so many things that we have to live into through experience. Um, and so one of the things that we've done as a culture is we've kind of normalized not feeling well. And so it is. So it's like, oh, I, when I wasn't feeling well, I was talking to young mothers, I was talking to other doctors. I was also talking to specialists, right, to, to mentors in my field, and they would all say, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, it's normal. And so I realized in hindsight, I was probably comparing myself to a lot of people who weren't well, um, but then kind of normalizing unwellness and just, you know, just deal with it. Things will get better. And, and they didn't, actually. <laughs> they continued to get worse. Yeah, I think I can relate to so much of what you're saying, especially when you're, it's funny when you're pregnant any symptom is related to pregnancy, right? So anything that you feel, they say, oh, it's probably just because you're pregnant. Oh, you're feeling this. Oh, your teeth, you're bleeding gums, this, this, and that. So you kind of just like, okay, it's just because I'm pregnant. And then after I had my baby, I started, I was, I still wasn't feeling great. And it's like, oh, it's just postpartum. But you can kind of see like how that can all build up over time and compound. And then it's like, you just ignore it. Oh, it's just this, it's just this. It's become a, I'm, I'm a mom, I'm a young mom. I'm not getting sleep. And then it's like, at what point does it become alarming? So I kind of want to still walk through your journey. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, and just even beyond that, it's so part of the challenge that I have now lived through and been able to see, um, not just through my own journey, but in working with patients now for 10 years in functional and integrative medicine is that part of the issue is the diagnosis can be really, um, it can be really validating for people, you know, and sometimes a relief like, oh my God, there's a name for this. And, you know, and maybe there's medication for this, but, and maybe there's even diet, right. And kind of exercise. And there's a, there's a whole protocol that we can follow. Um, but the diagnosis can also just be something that we, we use to 
just normalize it. So like PMS, right? I mean, premenstrual, you know, cramps and bloating and breast tenderness. I mean, all of these, these symptoms of hormonal imbalances, we've kind of, oh, well, it's just PMS, you know? Oh, well, you're just on your cycle. And it's like, well, but actually it doesn't need to be that way. And it also means that things are out of balance. So how do we begin to listen uh, to that, you know, tune into that as imbalances, tune into ourselves with a little bit more patience and compassion and uh, begin to kind of reframe how it is that we approach even diagnoses and, and names. Yeah. Yeah. So my journey, um, so I, you know, I was still fully functional. So, you know, that's often what we gauge how well we are by is how functional are you and how much can you do? <laughs> and so I was still really functional. Um, I was highly functional with, you know, hardly any sleep, nursing a baby, working, traveling, you know, having a very active husband. So, um, you know, life still was very full. Um, and then I had, um, I, I guess, you know, I, I mostly got better. I, I um, ended up getting diagnosed with postpartum thyroiditis, which is an, a postpartum form of Hashimoto's or autoimmune thyroiditis. So I was overactive thyroid then underactive thyroid. And um, I sought out, you know, the top-notch specialist at a major medical center here. Uh, I'm in, you know, the Bay Area in California where there's really, really wonderful medical care. Um, so I took medications and unlike most forms of Hashimoto's, the postpartum form tends to resolve. So after a year, um, sure enough, you know, I was able to taper off my Synthroid, my levothyroxine. Um, and then, uh, you know, I was deemed sort of, you know, in remission or cured, uh, but my symptoms actually were largely the same. So um, a couple of years, then another year later, so this is two years after um, I became a new mom, uh, I got pregnant the second time and it was this very dramatic episode when I was in Beijing uh, on a trip and I... I didn't know I was pregnant at the time, but I, I, I lost consciousness at one point and had, you know, uh, had woken up in an emergency room there. And I, re I learned that I was newly pregnant and that uh, I didn't know this, of course, in hindsight, but I had really, really severe vertigo, disequilibrium, uh, really severe fatigue, all of these symptoms that would be, be, you know, would become the beginning of, you know, a decade long journey through. Uh, so the autoimmune thyroiditis recurred, uh, chronic fatigue syndrome, dysautonomia, a lot of the, what we're seeing now actually as long COVID, as post COVID syndrome um, is, you know, it's, there's a lot of overlaps with chronic fatigue syndrome and dysautonomia. So that was the beginning, yeah. Hey everyone, it's Yasmin here. In 2020, I was struggling with some debilitating health stuff. 
I just got off birth control and suddenly I had acne, mood swings, breast tenderness, and really painful periods. I tried so many things, but the one thing that worked was something called seed cycling. I know you're probably thinking, seed cycling? What the heck is that? It's a natural way to support your hormones using four specific seeds throughout your cycle. The challenge is that seed cycling can be a little complicated to do and kind of time consuming. So I decided to make an organic seed cycling product that is so easy to use. We make it effortless for anyone to get started today. It's called Bia and it's a super easy way to add something powerful to your diet to support your hormones, regulate your cycle, and bring back balance. To learn more about Bia and join our community with thousands of incredible women all over the world, go to BiaWellness.com and that's spelled B-E-E-Y-A Wellness.com and check out the show notes for our promo code to get $10 off your first purchase. Thanks so much for listening and now let's get back to today's episode. When you went to, you were taking Synthroid, you were taking your thyroid medications and then you were in remission. Does that mean that your numbers look normal, but you were saying your symptoms were still there? Yes. So my antibodies got, nor- yeah, they normalized. My uh, my thyroid numbers looked normal. Um, and even, you know, some of my symptoms, like the my heart rate, you know, my resting heart rate was normal um, or within the normal range. I'll put it that way. Everything was in a normal range. So uh, yeah, that's that's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what I find so interesting about your story, and it, it breaks my heart to hear what you're going through, but you mentioned this earlier where, you know, when you're high functioning, so many of the women who are listening to this podcast are high functioning, ambitious women, and you don't have that connection to your body of, you know, what feels right. Cause like you said, we've really normalized it. And I just think your story is so interesting because you are this doctor, you are the expert in what you're dealing with and you can't even find the answers for yourself. So I'm curious, you know, you have been going through a decade of these unknown symptoms, despite, you know, trying and feeling like, okay, I'm functioning. I'm still taking care of my daughters. I'm still working. What was maybe the first thing that you did? Because I think you mentioned in another interview, going back to the basics was super critical. So maybe you can kind of paint a picture of maybe that first step you took after you realized, gosh, I've gone the conventional route. I've tried all these things, but I'm still feeling not like myself. Yeah. I mean, you know, one of the things that's been, yeah, illuminating for me is, you know, people will say, well, you're really, you're really blessed because you're a doctor. (laughs) And so you can kind of, you know, navigate your way through this. And I said, well, it's kind of a double-edged sword because uh, it also took me that much longer to even, I mean, it just sounds ludicrous, you know, when I look at it in hindsight, but I was such a believer in my paradigm as truth, you know, not just, oh, this is medicine, but this is life. I mean, I really saw life this way, you know, black and white and you can control the variables as long as you can identify them. And uh, so I, it took me a very long time. I mean, I was really, really crashing and kind of hit multiple dead ends, uh, you know, and uh, not just with my health, but with my, with my life, you know, my marriage was totally stressed. We were really at the breaking point. Um, I couldn't manage my kids. You know, I mean, it was, I was really largely housebound at this point. And so it was at that you know, sometimes you have to really, really fall um, in order to break open. And so it was out of desperation that I began to um, to try differently. Now, the first thing, I, functional medicine at that time is not, it's still, you know, 
not kind of not close to mainstream. <laughs> I know that I in the Bay Area and in California in general, it's a lot more um, accessible and people know about it a lot more. But even at that time, this was, you know, 10, 10, actually, this was 15 years ago. Uh, I hadn't even heard of functional medicine and integrative medicine was itself was quite new. Um, and uh, what I ended up doing was going back to basics with my medical training and I went to my textbooks. So I kind of went way beyond sort of the diagnoses, the treatments, you know, the protocols and really into the mechanisms of disease. How, how do chronic diseases begin and how do, what does health even mean? And actually a lot of it was in our, our textbooks, but then kind of glossed over. And then once we got into clinical training, it was, you know, it was really focused on patient care and protocols and, you know, drugs and procedures and things like that. So I began to realize, oh, you know what, actually chronic disease is a, it's not a, you either have it or you don't, it's a chronic progression. And that often um, these, these imbalances are beginning, you know, years, if not a decade or more before you actually get the diagnosis. And so, you know, and I began to piece things together. Oh yeah, you know, actually I wasn't feeling well even in residency. Oh, and I, you know, and I, and, oh, and I had these symptoms during my pregnancy or I had these symptoms before and, oh yeah, God, you know, I forgot. I had a lot of trouble sleeping, you know, when I was um, in medical training, things like that. So, okay, so there's been a lot of imbalances going on and then the pregnancy was the tipping point. Right. And then, and also we had no family uh, history of autoimmune conditions or thyroid conditions. So, you know, the whole notion of genetic predisposition wasn't even there as well. Um, I don't know if it would have changed anything, you know, because the way that we've been trained, there's not much you can do, right? Like you just, you either get it or you don't, and you have an increased risk. So there's not a lot in terms of educating you know, ourselves about well, how do you reduce the risk? How do you, oh, how, how do you actually reduce inflammation? How do you reduce uh, the stress response, you know, in your body? Um, all of which can really contribute to the turning on of autoimmunity. You know, how do you, how do you give yourself, your immune system, things that support healthy function so it doesn't dysfunction? How do you heal your gut? What is the relationship of the gut to autoimmunity? So all of those things, you know, were completely not on my radar. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so I began with Pathology 101 and then began kind of piecing things together. So first was like, okay, you know, I need to get more sleep because if I can't sleep, how do I get more energy? And so um, I had already been doing all the sleep hygiene things, you know, because I'd been having sleep challenges for a while. And then I went a little bit deeper. I was like, okay, oh, there's the circadian rhythm. Actually, what I do during the day also impacts what I do at night, you know, what happens at night. How do I begin to, and I would say, you know, the, the biggest initial aha was like, oh, my body is an ecosystem. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm part of nature. Like I need to align myself and recognize that things are constantly changing and moving and dynamic. It's not like a fixed... Uh, protocol that I need to give myself. And so that even is also, I think, one of the challenges of, you know, of clinical medicine and working with patients, right, is like oftentimes we'll find something, like we'll find the diet 
that is really useful. Like in the very beginning when I changed diet, diet was one of the, the earlier things I changed as well. And I began researching the, the, you know, um, the links between certain foods and triggering specifically autoimmune thyroiditis, uh, namely dairy and gluten. Um, and so eliminating that actually helped considerably. Um, I mean, to this day, I'm still gluten and dairy free, but the, I, but then I initially, initially did this like 30 day paleo reset. Um, back then, I don't even think audio autoimmune paleo and any of the other, <laughs> the other diets that are out there now were kind of existed. So it was kind of just piecing things together. And I, um, but you know, to, to stay on a really, really restricted diet for a long time also doesn't work. You know, because again, we're our guts, our bodies, we're ecosystems. And what we really need is we need variety. We need to constantly stay attuned to, you know, it's like changing seasons. Like, you know, do we fertilize the ground and do we fertilize our plants, you know, or, or our vegetables? You know, I have, we have vegetable boxes outside uh, in the winter. You know, it's different than how we approach the garden in the summer and in the spring. And so it's just like, Oh God, there's a constant change and we need to keep, you know, modifying. Um, and I think that that's, that's one of the challenges of, of clinical medicine and just, and even just us being, you know, uh, living our lives as, you know, whether we have a health condition or not, it's like, oh, we have to constantly change and be attuned to that and be flexible to it, which is really where resilience comes in. Absolutely. I think that what so many people resonated with when it came to your story, especially your conversation with Mark Hyman, which I uh, I think I told you was like one of our most popular conversations that we've ever had on that podcast, is that here are two physicians who studied traditional medical training. They went to medical school, they did everything, they were young residents, and they both got sick. And Unfortunately, Mark always makes a joke like, I keep going through those these things so I can find out how to heal myself and teach other people, which is like, nobody wants that. I don't want, I don't wish that upon anyone. But, you know, here's two doctors kind of saying like, we had to also go through these things too. We had to discover like there's an entire wellness wheel and you have to hit all the spokes of the wheel. You can't just throw a medication at it. You can't just change the diet. You can't just change the sleep. There's all these things that come together to create health. And you mentioned the diet. I think you talked about ancestral diet or Weston Price and all of these different things that you've done. But one of the things that was the most interesting part of that conversation that you brought up was this idea of energy healing. And that initially, this was something that you might have been closed off to or just thought like, what is this? This like, I didn't learn about this. This makes no sense. It's just woo woo. And it was a really interesting story. I'd love for you to share it, that how you got introduced to this idea of energy healing and the role that it had in your journey. Yeah. And yeah, absolutely. I, so I would say there were two, um, two entry points for me is, um, one was that when I was really desperate, I ended up seeing a, an acupuncturist and I, I tried several, um, but, and he, I, I was like, kind of like, okay, well, I'll try one more, you know, that's it. And, and that's also where I learned, like, it's, a lot of times with um, these healing modalities and, and even with functional medicine, right? Or with a primary care doctor, so a lot of it doesn't even depend on, it's not so much skill 
as it is like resonance, like what is the fit between the patient and the doctor or the patient and the healthcare practitioner? Because it's like any other relationship, you know, it's like your partner or a child or like you, you kind of need to feel into what feels resonant and, and go with that. And again, because we change all the time, like somebody that I adored and really helped me uh, either as a teacher or as a practitioner, 10 years ago may not resonate anymore in terms of a fit. Like they, they can still be beloved in my, you know, in my life, but he's, he or she has changed and I have changed and we might not actually be a great fit in terms of how it used to be. Um, so that, that is um, something that I have learned. And so my acupuncturist was the first time that I had experienced um, energy healing. And he was the first one that, uh, that introduced me to the notion of um, it, they're working at the energy level, you know, to rebalance my body, to help me attune to uh, patterns that were more healing rather than inflammatory. And then the second entry point was that when I had so I will say my acupuncturist and herbs, um, I also took herbs as well. And then um, I, uh, he kept introducing me to practice Qigong, which is a, it's a mind body practice that he said, oh, if you, if you do it, it can help you um, uh, kind of between the sessions, you know, kind of help maintain energy between the sessions. And I, it wasn't my thing. I also felt like I was doing so many other things to, to help my, to support my health. So the second entry point was that by the time I felt well enough, and then I had learned by that point, this is years later, I had learned about functional medicine as a paradigm of basically what I had been piecing together. And I went to a functional medicine conference and suddenly had infinite amounts of, I went from kind of very few options of what to try to kind of an infinite number. And, uh, and then a lot of the protocols that I had learned um, didn't, again, they didn't quite resonate for me or they were too strong or there was too much. And, you know, my system was really sensitive. So then I, um, I realized that I needed to learn how to, again, attune to what my body needs right now. And that's when, um, when I learned how to develop my intuition and specifically uh, medical intuition, like applying it to, yeah, to, to diet, to supplements, to medications. You know, Cynthia, I, I love this because the you know, tapping into your intuition, you don't hear a lot of doctors say, and even if you don't have a medical condition, it's so important in life just to like be in tune with what you're feeling. And like you said, you know, every day you could feel a little bit different, but going back to you really tapping into it for your own chronic disease and everything you were going with, what advice, I mean, how did you really develop that? Because for so long, we're trained not to listen to our bodies, right? And that's just our MO. So how did you really tap into that? And what advice do you have for people um, when it comes to really building that intuition with themselves? So I think the hardest thing about intuition is that 
it's hard to decipher what the signals are uh, because fear can be a really, really big signal, right? And it can actually obscure what the, the true signal is. So the hardest part about um, tapping into intuition is to silence the mind and also to, to release the fear. So it's truly just to learn to observe, I mean, which is basically learning how to sit in meditation, how to sit with, with no mind. You know, you clear the mind, you clear your thinking mind. Um, and if you can't clear your thinking mind, you learn to observe your thoughts. I mean, that's the hardest thing, you know, and most of, you know, and I, you know, being, I don't being very, um, accustomed and to, and trusting my thinking mind, I really just wanted to know, like, how do I do it? And it's like, oh, the way to do it is first to learn how to just be still and stop doing, you know, like, don't do it. Um, and so I will, and then I had two, um, two intuitive healing mentors who really began to guide me and how to teach. Um, so one of them, I would say, taught me a little bit more about how to meditate, how to be still. Um, and then the other one uh, was highly attuned as a medical intuitive. So she actually taught me sort of how to use intuition and apply it to, to clinical medicine or to apply it to myself. Um, so some other tricks, though, because it's hard, you know, it's a it's a long practice for most of us to learn how to <laughs> silence our minds. So while we're doing that is, well, so first relaxation is really an entry point. So any of the guided meditations, you know, people can find it on apps like Calm or Insight Timer, you know, they're available and YouTube anywhere. You can play something or music, but you can, but relaxation is the first, like it's just the, the door. Right. So you have to be, we have to be relaxed. Um, and then another thing is, is that because the, you know, the thinking mind gets a bad rap a lot of times when we start talking about meditation or like clearing the mind or intuition, but really all the thinking mind wants to do is to solve things. So one of the things, uh, one of the tricks is uh, what I learned actually through a grief, ther a grief therapist when I was doing a grief ritual to really detox, you know, my emotions and the soul is uh, timed automatic writings. And so literally you can set a timer for 10 minutes and there's a you can choose a prompt, um, but it, it, you know, it's something kind of generally wide open, but that can kind of guide you. So like, I remember when dot, dot, dot could be a prompt, right? Or um, my tears, dot, dot, dot. And so you set the timer, You've got a pen and paper, and it's important to actually write, right, as opposed to type. And you're writing, 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 and you just you're supposed to just keep writing. You cannot stop. You cannot pause. You cannot cross, you know, cross through, go back, edit. And if nothing comes up, you just write. Nothing is coming up. Or, My mind is blank. I have no idea what the heck I'm doing. <laughs> but you're just writing, and it's a way that we train our thinking minds to actually, our, our minds, we can't keep up, right, with the, the automatic timed writing. And so you just begin this practice fluidly, fluidly, fluidly. And maybe the first five, six times you do it, it's totally nothing. Um, but a lot of times stuff comes up. 
And it's a beautiful practice to actually do with a partner where you just agree to totally keep it in confidence. You then read it with each other and no comments, no questions, no, the, the other person's just a blank observer. And so again, we also learn to observe someone else and their thoughts and their emotions to quiet our questions, to simply observe. So it, there's also a meditative practice in that, right? And just receiving and generously listening without judgment, without labeling. And so um, there's, you know, there's a lot of techniques like that to, to begin to tune in. A dream journal is another one. So dreams are where our subconscious begins to arise. And, you know, just like uh, you were saying about Mark Hyman saying, oh, he needs to go through these things in order to teach is like, well, you know, really, really healing is about living and experiencing an abundance, right? That's really all healing is. It's coming into balance and experiencing an abundance. So the dream life is really simply our consciousness, subconsciousness, our consciousness, uh, either processing or showing us, I don't know, messages or whatever it is that we're experiencing on the subconscious level that we might not register. And so the more we can write those down, not get attached to necessarily what they mean, but kind of sit with the experience, um, we can refer to them afterwards, you know, maybe in hindsight, like, wait a minute, God, I just remembered something, you know, that triggered, that experience in life triggered something that I dreamt last week. You go back to your dream journal and then you can begin to maybe piece together and learn like, oh, what feels like intuition and what feels like, you know, just the mind processing its stuff. So yeah, a lot of these are just going to be practices. Yeah, I love and Cynthia, I'm just I'm chuckling here because I've been having crazy dreams, not crazy, active dreams like the past week consistently. So you said because so many of us have dreams and we're like, that makes no sense. Like I was in a carnival, like on rides with a nice dress and heels and I was like fine in the carnival and at the time I'm like okay what the heck does this mean I had that you know dream last night it's so random but you're saying even if it doesn't make sense still write in the journal and maybe there might be something that comes from it but like don't overanalyze maybe your dreams if it doesn't make sense at the time you still recommend putting it down Absolutely. Because, you know, one of the things with intuition and one of the, the things with functional medicine and actually in conventional medicine, like the, the wisdom is actually not just in looking at the specific numbers and, you know, like what's the data, but is like beginning to observe the patterns, right? So like, even if the numbers don't quite fit, you're like, you know what, the pattern fits with thyroiditis or the pattern fits with hormone axis dysfunction. You know, there's a lot of things that we can't even measure, right? So the pattern. And so in dreams, you'll begin to see patterns, you know? And so like, I'm like, oh, okay, I know when I dream, you know, that, okay, when there's an elevator, you know, it has something to do with the mind, body, spirit sort of alignment. And, you know, I go up and then I go down, you know? So you, you'll begin to see patterns. And then what, what I love about dreams, and I've been keeping a, a really active dream journal for years now, is um, they're really playful too. Like it's really funny to see how the mind and the mind meaning consciousness and subconsciousness begin to process information and to show it 
to, to us. Um, and it's just, it's funny that the subconscious is really playful, you know, so that I love that you were dreaming about a carnival and you're like all decked out. There's something really playful in that, you know? And then, um, and again, sometimes there's no meaning, you know, behind things, but the patterns are, are very, very revealing to us. So again, it's just about like, what does that mean to you? Like I might be able to see some meaning in that. And just, oh, there's some patterns or whatever. And so my intuition teachers really helped me with that. But ultimately, it's like, what does that mean to you? You know, because it's your mind showing you something and or your body, right? People will say like intuition is really in the gut. It's in the heart, these signals that are coming to us. So what is it that your body is showing you? And so even in my own healing journey, you know, this again, this is years later after many years of skepticism and kind of breaking through um, some of my own limitations is, uh, is I would have dreams. You know, I had this dream. I just kept having these current dreams of like swimming in a bog, you know, and swimming in kind of slime and it, it was not comfortable. And after a while I was like, wait a minute, you know, and, I, and as I was doing my functional medicine training, I'm like, wait, does this mean that I, I, need, I have some detoxing to do? You know, and I began to look into um, stealth infections and oh, how do I detox? Oh, maybe I need to do a lemon juice cleanse, you know, and kind of clean out, you know, my liver or, and that's what led me to the grief ritual. I need to maybe do a detox of my emotions, you know, and, uh, and again, like, not that these things are bad, that they're all just parts of life, right? It's like saying like poop is bad, you know, it's like, no, 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 we need to detox. We need to let go. Um, but, and how do we do that? We just haven't really been taught how to do that uh, with our bodies and with our minds. It's interesting what you're saying about dreams in particular, because I was talking with a friend the other day that I feel like I'm having a lot of dreams where I'm having really argumentative conversations with people. I'm having like very difficult conversations. And what came up for us was this idea of people pleasing and boundaries in my life and like not setting boundaries or not having difficult conversations. And then they get played out through my dreams. Right. So my subconscious is almost like mm. handling it for me. So um, it's really mm. interesting. You know, mm -hmm. I, I, I think about dreams quite a bit, but one of the things that I think Yasmin and I talk about quite a bit, and it's actually perfect to have you on for this conversation is autoimmune conditions specifically for women. It seems as though women struggle with autoimmune conditions more than men, and that there is a sort of energetic component to this. Why are women struggling with this thing that some people say is like the body is attacking itself, other people have a different explanation? Have you seen this in your world that women are struggling more, and why do you think that is? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I have seen it, and I mean, obviously, I've experienced it, but even in my family, you know, if we look at my family in terms of autoimmunity, too, um, and uh, and also the, the statistics show it. I mean, it's a little bit varied from specific autoimmune condition to the other, but, you know, it's, it's somewhere on the order total of like, you know, one to six, one to eight, like it's, it's many more times uh, more prevalent in women. And I mean, you know, there are a lot of theories about that. Um, the primary one being about just the way that the, the hormone system is so much more complex in women. You know, we've got so many moving, more moving parts. Um, and something about the way that the, that the immune system needs to be able to 
uh, modulate, for example, like to when we're pregnant, to not recognize the fetus as something as foreign, right? And then attack it, you know, as like a bacteria or, or a pathogen, uh, you know, I mean, we have tons of bacteria within us, but like a pathogenic, uh, a disease causing bacteria. And so there's a lot more against subtlety and complexity um, in the hormone system of women, um, which makes us, yes, more predisposed to autoimmunity, um, but also gives us the capacity for more resilience. Because resilience is actually, resilience, and this is something that I, I really learned and parsed out in my journey is, you know, toughness, we're, we're taught a lot about toughness and kind of, and even like with the COVID-19 pandemic, the focus is on the outer, how do we protect ourselves, right? How do we <clears throat> put up boundaries? How do we, you know, sanitize masks and whatnot? But with, and, and that's totally a part of what, you know, what we need to do uh, in terms of protection. But with that comes, again, kind of this conditioned pattern of fear. Right. There's a fear because we need to protect ourselves from something. And um, there's a so first off is that actually contributes significantly right to immune dysfunction, to stress, to all the systems being, um, uh, you know, uh, worn out. Um, the second thing is, is that then there's a actually there's an internal strength, there's an, an resilience. So the out the toughness is you know what I call an outer rigidity, and then the resilience is an inner flexibility. So because we have multiple moving parts, uh, you know we have these right we have these menstrual cycles, you know that men don't go through. You know they have a much steadier uh, hormonal system in terms of flux, even you know, week by week. And so with that, uh, that movement, though, we actually have more resilience, right, kind of just genetically uh, built in. So how do we actually begin to harness that as a strength? Uh, because I think, you know, usually when we're when we hear the words like sensitivity, or, you know, subtlety, it, it we associate it with being vulnerable and weak. But there's a, a different kind of strength that we can tap into with that. We just need to learn actually how to how to harness that and how to develop it. And so much of it is actually how do we live in flow? You know, that's a really big, you know, generalized question. But that really is for me. That's that's the root root question. You know, be you know below nutrition, what do I eat? You know, below that is like, well, yeah, how do you, how do you eat? How do you move? You know, not, not what are you doing with your movement, but how are you doing it? So there's something about the female system that is um, very relational. So it's a relationship between you and your food. It's a relationship between you and your body, relationship between how you're moving. Um, and, and literally even like, how are you taking that vitamin? You know, and so, uh, you know, part of my journey, which actually had happened just as my memoir was finishing, but it hadn't happened, not enough time had passed for me to actually understand what was happening, um, was that I had a second health crisis. And so this was about 10 years into my journey, you know, where I was back to functional, um, but I was living a highly managed life, 
right? So I was functional, not totally feeling well, but functional and living a very managed life. Like I was really strict about everything. And this is where that whole toughness, rigidity thing comes in. So my, the second, um, the second crisis, uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I realized like, oh, there's a lot actually I haven't learned. And it's more about the, the inner connection, the inner relationship. And, you know, and, and it was very different than the first one because I was already at the forefront of internal medicine, functional medicine, integrative medicine, intuitive healing. And I was still there, right? So it, there was a lot more fear that I was confronting, um, but also like, oh my God, can I even do it again? You know, can I do this again? <laughs> like, I don't, and so um, it was an act of surrender, like real surrender. And by that point, I had already been practicing Qigong. So we didn't actually talk about that before. Yeah, I'd but, love to talk about that yeah. for yeah, people so, who don't know what Qigong is. So Qigong, Qi means energy um, or vitality. And gong means cultivation. So how do we learn to cultivate that within our bodies? And what I hadn't realized, you know, when my acupuncturist recommended it to me was, you know, again, I was thinking much more transactionally, like cause and effect. If I do that, I might get this. But really what it is, it's self-empowerment, you know. And so one of the challenges, even in working with uh, functional medicine doctors or whatever, you know, holistic healers, is that there's still an externalization of wisdom. There's still an externalization of like support. So even with that, if we're not developing our own connection with ourselves and trusting our intuition, learning to, yeah, to trust our own innate wisdom and our body to heal, there's this very, very, even if it's very deep subconscious fear because we're dependent on something that's external to us. So there's this, you know, I know for me, there was like this, you know, want to control, like I need to make sure I need to line up all you know, my people and all my meds and my supplements or whatever, and just follow all of that. So there was this management of my life, you know, to a very, very beautiful, intricate level. And then I had this, this crisis. So I did. I felt like, whoa, there's a lot I actually needed to learn about surrender and going beyond my physical body down into the energy that I am. And so, you know, initially it's, it sounded a little bit abstract to me. I'm like energy healing, you know, beyond woo woo, like what in the heck is it, you know? And the, the second health crisis after that, actually, I experienced a radical remission. And so I was still, you know, doing, you know, I was still doing my diet. I was still doing, I was doing some detoxes. I was addressing some um, chronic uh, tick-borne infections. Like I, so I was still doing things, but it was, again, more this relationship with myself. And so when I experienced the radical remission, I was like, oh, no, I mean, there's actually something here. There's something very tangible here. It's not something that's really far out. And so kind of in a nutshell is that um, the way that I had approached my body healing and also working with patients was very much still, even if it was a much broader context, was still within 
the physical realm, was within the Newtonian physics, mechanical physics, biomechanics. And then there's this, again, kind of functional medicine being root cause medicine. Like I was like, oh, there's a deeper root below that, which is energy. And the expressed way of that is how do we, how do I relate? You know, how do I stay in flow? How do I continue movement? How do I not get attached to even the idea of being healthy? Because that becomes its own block. Um, and because it fuels fear, right? It doesn't allow my body to be in flow. Um, and then now, you know, continuing on that journey below energy is actually information, right? Which comes circular to a lot of what we talk about in, in holistic and, you know, integrative functional medicine is like food as information, chemicals as information, you know, relationships as information, all the inputs and, but really starting with the inputs of our minds, you know? And so, you know, the two really, really big factors are food, just because we're eating all the time, and then thoughts. Um, so thoughts, you know, a lot of the, the neuroscientists, they actually debate <clears throat> how to actually measure a thought physiologically with, with the, the devices that are available. So depending on what, how a thought is defined by measuring, it's anywhere, it's estimated anywhere from 6,000 to 80,000 thoughts a day. Right. So we're, we're, we constantly have these inputs and our bodies are just they're just agnostic. They I mean, I, I say they I mean, it's actually we. Right. We are our bodies <laughs> and we talk about them as separate. But no, we are our bodies. But they're responding to just information. You know, and so how do we begin to consciously connect with what it is that, you know, that I'm feeding my body? So I'm not just feeding my body food, I'm feeding my body thoughts and information, right? And so if we are constantly doing social media and news bits and, you know, tabloids and whatnot, I mean, especially right now, the rapidity, you know, how fast information is and all the, the challenges in the world, it's a lot of thoughts that are programming. Um, the way our cells are operating, right? So there's a way, again, there's a way that with our minds and with this, this oh, and I'll go into Qigong um, practice, but that we be, can begin to not only choose what kind of information we're connecting to, but we can choose the way that we relate to the relationship. Uh, we can relate to the information that we're receiving, right? So there's data on trauma, right? So if we look at uh, an event that happens, you know, why some people develop PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, and some people don't. And it has to do with their relationship, how they perceive that event, right? And so, and yeah, we can go into systems like, okay, there are certain genetic predispositions, there are certain, you know, is your stress axis, how resilient is your stress, stress, stress axis before you go into that experience? I mean, there's a lot physiologically um, that, you know, we can boost resilience, but a lot of it is also the perception. How do we perceive what's happening? And so for me, you know, having a really sensitive constitution and being easily, and a lot of what is 
perpetuating autoimmunity and inflammation as a whole is this kind of, it's, it's like a micro PTSD state every day, right? And we know that there's this loop that happens. And so uh, in our minds, and so with uh, autoimmunity, there was just a lot of fear. It's like, what if I eat that? What if I do that? What if I exercise too much? Am I going to get another flare? Am I going to get a setback? Um, so for me, the, the practice was Qigong, was this cultivating energy, cultivating vitality. And again, I started with it really pragmatically. Like I'm going to start 15, 20 minutes a day, something I can work into my schedule. And um, I just saw it as a way to rehabilitate my my neurology, my hormones, like things I couldn't physically, you know, I couldn't go to the gym and work out, but like, oh, I can work out my internal workings and bring some order to them. So again, giving them information on how to, how to operate, right? So there's a lot of different ways now. There's neural retraining programs. There are, um, heart math is a, is a little biofeedback device that I love. I don't know if you've read this, um, that on your show, but you know, you plug it in or you have an app and you can literally learn how to breathe in a way that brings you into coherence. And coherence is different than relaxation. Relaxation is a part of coherence, but relaxation tends to be a low energy state. So nothing wrong with relaxation and comfort. Uh, in fact, we, you know, really want to be comfortable and relaxed. It's low energy though. And so there's not a lot of healing that happens in that state, um, but there's not a lot of trauma either, right? There's not a lot of inflammation. So coherence is this state of flow. And so it's active, it's healing, it's, and it's relaxed. So uh, heart math is a biofeedback mechanism that anybody can do, you know, from, from their home. So, uh, and then for me, um, you know, I played around with heart math. I played around with neural retraining. They were all, again, wonderful entry points for me, uh, but not something that I could, that just really drew me in as a practice, as a lifelong practice. And Qigong is based in, you know, 3,000 years at least of uh, practice originating in, you know, in ancient China. Well, it's a mind-body uh, practice. And it's just, it's helped me to perceive the body in a way that is beyond the physical, that is beyond the flesh. And, um, and that's the place where quantum healing happens. That's why, why it's called quantum leaps or radical remissions, right? So they're not, they're not miracles. They're actually really ordinary, but we're not, but it's not the normal, right? And we actually call it something really radical. It took me, you know, my own experience, though, to really appreciate how ordinary it was, you know, because a lot of people hear about those things. And, and I've even seen it in my Qigong communities, you know, where people have these radical healings that I can't even explain medically. Um, but I've seen enough of it. Radical actually comes from the Latin uh, radix, which means root. Right. So it's actually like going to the root of something, but it can also mean like something really drastic. So radical healings can either be we think of spontaneous healings. But again, those are kind of like, you know, the people who have like a tumor and then suddenly 
they don't have a tumor. Um, for me, it was not that. And for more of the people that I've known who've gone through this, it, it's a little bit more of a of a really rapid healing that, again, defies kind of the standard uh, data that we have, right? Sort of the standard trajectory of healing. So whereas it took me a decade before to kind of get to where I was, you know, which is already in itself kind of a radical healing because it was it was um, it didn't follow the prognoses, right? The the probabilities of people with chronic fatigue syndrome or dysautonomia healing to that level is already really really low. Um, but in this case, my healing happened over a few months, you know, which blew my mind. I was like, wait, what in the heck is happening? And whoa, there's something now that I can recognize like that I can do this, you know, instead of just saying, oh, it doesn't happen to me. It happens to those other people. And it's really rare. I was like, this is so ordinary. And it's because I had been practicing Qigong for a long time. At that place, I just began accessing energy in a way that I hadn't before, you know, because I had nothing else to go on. It's just like, okay, just surrender to it and just practice. And I was practicing a lot more than I was, you know, before as a, as a rehab exercise. So, yeah, so it's, it's, um, so a lot of what I do now is incorporate Qigong coaching into the sessions that I work with patients and, um, and gradually increasingly only taking patients who are, who are into their practice, because it's such, again, for me, personally, but also from the patients that I've seen, it's such an important foundation. And it's what I know, right? So we teach both what we know, we also teach what we need to learn the most. So it's not for everyone. Um, and a lot more people, right, are, are interested in, a, um, in a, a cleaner sort of functional medicine paradigm, which is great, too. Um, so yeah, and, and they're all available. Right. I actually, when I was pregnant, I was experiencing a lot of fear. And just as the internet does, it, it identified that I was pregnant. And so I started to get a lot of um, information about Qigong. I started to read about it. I started to read about how pregnant women who practice it had less instances of gestational diabetes, preeclampsia, um, unfortunate outcomes during labor. And I just had fears around all of those things almost irrational fears because it was my first time being pregnant. So I actually started to practice Qigong when I was pregnant mm. and it was, it was, it was amazing. It was really something that was one of the only things because during meditation, my mind just, it, it yeah. wouldn't quiet the same way that it normally yes. does when I was not pregnant, when I was not pregnant, I was able to kind of really get into it, mm. but it was really nice at that stage because it's an it's active. Mm -hmm. So you're moving your whole body versus sitting and trying to quiet your mind. So I really appreciated that and loved it. And if anybody is pregnant and they, it, this is resonating with them, I, I highly recommend it. It was, it was really good for me at that time. Mm. Wonderful. Yeah. It can really uh, support your energy. It can, um, you know, nourish the baby. There's just, there's a lot. Yeah a lot that it can do. And what I love about this, and I also know people, my cousin, similar story, like she's in conventional medicine, tried everything, 
had a horrible condition, saw an acupuncturist, learned about Qigong. And that's when she truly felt like she saw a difference because she tried everything. But what I love about it is that you can easily Google it, right? For anyone who's listening, because when I heard about Qigong, I'm like, what is that? So where do I find it? There's so many free resources online that you can just Google YouTube and do a five minute one. Like you said, Cynthia, in the beginning, you just, you know, did it whenever you had time. Like there's no rigidity among how you start. So it's something that I've been fascinated about. And just hearing this conversation with you just gets me now more motivated to get into it because I believe in all this energy work. Um, but I think it's really beautiful. So I know we talked about a lot today and we're coming up on time, but maybe at a super high level, if there's anyone who's struggling with autoimmune disease, what are three things that they should start considering? Um, well, I think, you know, we, we covered it a lot in our conversation, but the first thing is uh, connecting to your body. And I think that that, that might be the hardest thing uh, because by the time most people are diagnosed with autoimmune diseases, um, they felt like their bodies have betrayed them for a long time or, or they're really uncomfortable places to be. Uh, but really the, 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 the healing begins when we connect to ourselves, right? And recognize, oh, I'm not actually attacking myself. Um, I, I just need to learn to be compassionate with myself. I need to be in my body, right? And, and also just observe and learn not, and to go beyond the symptoms. Like I'm not just my symptoms, right? That there's this, this whole other being that is beyond that. Um, something more practical is, um, is food. Is, you know, we have to change our diet. And it's, you know, for a long time, I thought, oh, God, I got to do it. You know, I, like, you know, because I have to, you know, kind of thing. And, and quite honestly, right now, I don't have to be strictly gluten and dairy free. Um, but I choose to, you know, and, um, and I, I don't really think twice about it anymore. But I, I like how I feel, you know, and uh, so it's, you know, again, just and there are a lot of, again, just like with Qigong, there's entry points at the body level. You can do it, start as an exercise for five minutes. There's the connection starting point at energy level. And then for some people who've been practicing meditation maybe for a long time, or they're just wired that way, you can start at the consciousness level. And all of them, you know, uh, work in concert. Same thing with food, right? You can really start at the prescriptive level and just say, and I would say, a, you know, a pale, in general, a paleo diet would be a great way to start. If that feels hard, um, a gluten and dairy-free whole foods diet, like just eliminating prepackaged foods would be a great start, you know? So really everyone has their own starting point and whatever feels doable. Um, and uh, yeah, the third thing is I would say uh, move move the body. Because again, as part of information, if we stop moving the body, um, the body receives information that it's not as necessary, right? So moving the body, um, and, and that's again, where Qigong and, you know, practices like yoga can be really useful because they're so gentle. Um, so starting gentle, because movement can be 
uncomfortable for a lot of people with autoimmunity. Um, and then some of these practices um, with Qigong and other modalities is, uh, can be done sitting down um, and even visualizing, right? There's data now that if you visualize movements that it has similar uh, changes, uh, both in the, uh, the, like the mitochondria, the, the way that the brain is activating. Um, and so there's benefits even in visualizing. So, uh, but yeah, but really learning how to inhabit the body fully. So beautiful. And Cynthia, I love just, you know, this whole interview is you just really emphasizing, especially as women like us to really be in the flow, understand our bodies, really build that connection. And, you know, even if you don't have an autoimmune disease, I still think it's so critical because you want to prevent that. And it's something that I think about quite a lot, especially as someone who has gone, been, you know, in stressful work situations for a decade, and I'm still unwinding all of that and honoring my body. So this was so beautiful. And, you know, we want to end, we do this fun question at the end of our interviews um, where we ask, you know, it could be playful, it could be not playful, however way you want to take it. But what are maybe three things as a physician that you would never do to your body? Uh, you mean now? <laughs> because yeah, now, now, now that you know all this. Because <laughs> I, I, I put my, yeah, I put my, um, my body through the ringer. <laughs> so I kind of learned, uh, I guess I learned the hard way. Three things. I, I mean, that's a tough. Well, definitely no dairy gluten. You know that. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess that it was the, it's, you know, what I shared in terms of, um, uh, wisdom for people with autoimmune disease is yeah. Like I would, um, I would never sacrifice my body for anything. Um, you know, and, uh, I, I do feel like this, uh, this mindset of like being a martyr, you know, even in the name of service for other people, um, is a, you know, it's, it's a big, uh, cultural message, um, a lot on, for women as caretakers as well, but we can only we can only take care of others, you know, when we take care of ourselves. And what I love about like the, the energy healing and the, the neuroscience where they meet is that there's data on that now, right? Like when we come into coherence, there's this state of coherence that I spoke about earlier, we can bring other people that are in our field into coherence. They, they don't even know what's going on. We bring them into coherence. And so if I'm a doctor and there's a patient in my field, you know, or I'm, you know, at the dinner table and my, my kids and my husband are in my field, like if I can stay in that place of coherence, even when there's like stuff going on that could be triggering, I can help bring them into that state so that they can become more empowered to, to, you know, make clearer, more conscious choices for themselves. So it's this it's this huge invisible superpower, you know, that's, that's very tangible. Um, so I think that's like the, that's the main thing because it encompasses so much, right? I mean, it can apply to anything in our lives and it also gives me permission to play really to play and play and pleasure is another nourishment. I think that is, that we're starving for, um, you know, particularly as women, 
uh, and uh, you know, in in the the health sector as well, is oh, how do we play? And it's 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 very very important. And so playing with movement, playing in nature, um, integrating all of those pieces, so that we don't we're not even thinking about it as prescriptive, but really again, kind of going back to a theme earlier is living is really you know healing is really living right in abundance and so how do we do that um you know kaya's got a child like how do you be a mother but how do you play with your child how do you learn with her as opposed to like how do you just take care of her right and like protect her it's like oh what am what is she teaching me what you know and it can be really playful as well so and that's can, like the number one thing that children want from us. Like that's what they need from us. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so we can guide, you know, and my girls, I have two girls now who are teenagers and I'll just say it's very humbling, you know, to, <laughs> to raise, to raise girls uh, nowadays. And, but it, it keeps it real. You know, it's just like, you know, if I feel my, I can feel my resistance now. So the thing with, a lot of these energy practices and tuning into the self is it's so easy for me to feel my own internal blockages. Like, Oh, I'm feeling resistance. I am not in flow reset. And then, okay, what in the heck are they trying to teach me about myself? You know, and they just showed me where my blockages are. They just showed me where it is that I still need to learn to release and let go. And from that state, I can be a much better guide for them, you know? Uh, so it's, um, yeah, it can be really playful and keeps us humble. Amazing. Very, very cool. And also too, about the energy thing of, you know, we can change the people around us with our state of coherence. We all see examples of that because we've seen the opposite where you come into a situation at a, at a dinner, or if you go to an appointment or whatever it is that that person can be in a state of whatever they are, and we can get sucked into it too. And then we can walk into the room and somebody's glowing, they're beautiful, they're vibrant, their energy is just like, that can change the atmosphere as well. So we all see examples of this and it's just a, another reason and another example, we can, we can also be that to ourselves. So I love that, I feel very inspired by it. And thank you so much for joining us today. It was really wonderful to connect with you and chat with you. And yeah, I think people are going to love this interview. So thank you again. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind Her Empire. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean the world to me if you would consider leaving a review or even sharing this episode with someone who might be inspired to create their own empire. To stay updated on new episodes or join our private community, visit BehindHerEmpire.com to sign up. We send inspiring and short emails every week to your inbox. I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, you're always in charge of your own destiny and it's never too late to start your own empire.